Greetings and welcome to another enlightening episode of Jukama Radio. My name is Tom and I am honored to be your co-host. I'm also honored to, once again, introduce our venerable teacher, Daishi. Daishi, may I ask how you are today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Tom. It's good to talk to you again. It's good to hear your voice. And let's jump into this exciting topic. Absolutely. Let's do that. All right. So today we'd like to discuss the root chakra and how Kundalini is activated. We've already been introduced to Kundalini. I think it would be a good idea to start by describing exactly what is a chakra. Wow. That is a great question. What is a chakra? Chakra is a thoroughfare of energy that moves through the body in a subtle form. So in the same way you have veins and arteries where blood pumps through the body, a chakra is the same kind of artery and vein system, but it's a chakra is where most of that energy congeals into a very specific kind of place that resonates a very specific kind of pattern, tone, geometric force. It's its own realm. It's its own world. It's its own perception. And there are many of them actually in the body. And we usually talk about, you know, maybe five or seven or 10 or something along those lines, depending on the tradition. But it's just a thoroughfare of energy and it can't really be seen by any instruments yet that we have. It will be at some point, obviously. But right now, it's a mystery, but quantum science seems to be going in the direction of dark force, dark matter, dark energy. And they're starting to understand that there are forces that just because we can't see them with any instruments or our own physical instruments doesn't mean they're not there. And that's a beautiful thing because that's exactly what Kundalini Shakti, Tumo Chandali, the Holy Shekhinah, that's what all of these different cultural references are referring to this hidden, dormant, powerful energy that can help us evolve. And that happens to be closely related with the root chakra. So is what you're alluding to the energy body that we hear about? Well, energy body is a term used to define a particular space within the concentric circles of existence. So Let's work from some framework that makes sense to everybody listening and to you and I. Let's say that there are 10 realms of reality. There are 10 concentric circles that move from the most dense, the innermost, like an onion, and move outward into 10 different rings, if you will. And I'm hoping that this example goes somewhere good because this is off the cuff. But let's pretend like that innermost is Malhut. That innermost is the root chakra. It's the first place. It's the deepest chakra center within the body where that magical life force energy exists in a small source, just enough to give us a kind of spirit, a self-awareness, self-consciousness, self-reflection, contemplation. It gives us enough energy that we can have these things at a certain level. And as we enhance and empower this energy, it corrects and cleans the system with us. It evolves us in a faster way so that we can move from one, the root of the onion, one level or realm into another. And we pass a certain kind of barrier between those onion layers. And those barriers are what separates these bodies that you mentioned, or these realms or worlds or perceptions that you mentioned. So we start in this first base realm perception of this world. 
and a basic reflection of who I am. I look in the mirror, that's me. And then potentially with this energy, we can break through into higher levels of conscious perception and go through those layers more and more and more until inevitably we would liberate out from this particular structure of creation. So when you say, is it that energy body? Yes, in a way it sort of exists in the second layer of the onion, but we have just enough ability to actuate it and to understand it and to start having it become active if we understand the right ways of coercing it. So we're talking about the root chakra. The root chakra, I would assume, is located at the root of the body? We could say it's at the perineum near the tip of the spine in that general area. It's not a physical location, so it's impossible to point specifically because it doesn't exist in the same kind of dimension that our physicality exists here. And even if we move one subtle onion layer forward into the next realm, time and space and everything changes and shifts. So we're not exactly the same in the next realm. And let's take dreams, for example. Let's pretend for a moment for the sake of this conversation that our dream experiences are actually us leaving physicality and going into a little subtler dimension of reality where we float around, play around, and experience wild and somewhat crazy adventures in this other layer. That layer, we would call the, for lack of a better word, and I don't want to argue with anyone about the terms here, but let's just say it's a pranic layer. That layer is the subtle energy layer. And when we bring the mental brain's interpretations or the way that the mental brain works on this layer into that layer, it doesn't have any way of associating what's going on there except by references here. So once we go to that layer of reality, and come back here to figure out what was I experiencing and what was going on, it will make references to human earth things like buses and, you know, trucks and cars and planes and boats and people and clothing and all this stuff. We know that that can't possibly exist on a non-physical plane. I mean, how do you cut down a tree in a pranic realm of reality. There is no cutting tool. There's no metal. There isn't density. So when we see these things in our dream world and come back to this world, we know certainly that we're interpreting them with a processor that's incapable of fully understanding the subtle nature of that reality. And so in that way, in that place, we can say that the root the tip of the spine, the perineum, this type of area, the root of the core of the bottom bowl of the body contains a powerful force that can be stimulated and awoken in some way to release or activate this energy for the sake of us potentially having a new kind of brainware, a new kind of program at some point that can perceive that second layer and can enter that second layer of the onion more clearly and more willfully. So that being as it is, how do we correlate the root chakra with kundalini energy? And this is the confusing part because we've actually separated that inner heat, the inner energy, the inner life force, evolutionary energy as its own thing outside of the spiritual evolutionary path. That's impossible to do. That's like saying that, you know, you have a car and you have an engine. They're different. No, without an engine, you do not have a car. You have wheels and axles and something that can roll by being pushed 
but it's not actually considered an automobile. Kundalini, Shakti force, life force, evolutionary energy, whatever you call it, is involved in all forms of mystical practice and advancement. There isn't a way to separate it out because it is the very light that gives us breath and sight and perception and ego and identity and intellect and memory and comprehension and feelings and sensations, etc. So this energy simply is activated, enhanced, and can be explosive for our evolutionary journey in one way or another. In some paths, kundalini is not mentioned so much, and they use other terms instead because it's a gradual path. So some paths, some tantric paths, for example, and some Buddhist paths, for example, they go after this energy, and they utilize it in an aggressive way and move forward on it very quickly. And other paths don't notice it so much, so they've forgotten how to address it, or they've used other terms, or they've not referenced it at all. And instead, they just call it the path that moves you forward in consciousness. It doesn't matter whether you're on an aggressive or moderate or a very simplified path. Kundalini's in all of them. <laughs> There's no way to separate that life force energy out of it and make it its own thing. It's in everything. So that's the first, I think, mistake where you would say, oh, you know, I'm on a path of Vedanta. You know, how adulterated that's become over the years is another story. But let's just say you're on a path where you believe that non-dual thinking will lead you to diamond radiant clarity. There's still Kundalini there, whether you like it or not. The thing that's going to cause the evolutionary process of scrubbing the mind's aggregates, the attachments to those aggregates and to the transient self is going to be Kundalini. It's just not going to be felt as intense as maybe a tantrika that's specifically going after enraging and charging this energy fast and powerfully. But it's still there. So in all paths, Kundalini, the Holy Mother, the Holy Spirit, which is, you know, the Catholic Church downgraded from Mother to Holy Spirit, or maybe upgraded, depends how you look at it, is in everything, and it must be active in the trinity of the process of evolution, period, full stop. So you mentioned Christianity and you mentioned how, you know, maybe the idea of Kundalini or Shakti energy may have originally been part of it, but has been, you know, lost, I guess, through the years. The very concept of Kundalini seems very specific to Eastern religion and tradition. Is there mention of this energy in all of the Abrahamic religions? Every single one. In fact, you can see that because of Christ's special wine, as he says, the, the disciples became drunk and they started talking in tongues with flames over their heads and moving about and acting as if they were lost in a deep trance-like state. And in the story, there are others walking by saying, how are these people all drunk? It's only noon or so, right? Why were they drunk already? And he's expressing that, no, no, they're spiritually active in Kundalini. They happen to be drunk on my wine, a special wine. And he's saying that he's given them Shakti Pot, which is a way of transmitting the energy to another person and allowing them to feel this energy. And so it's dead right in the center of the disciple relationship with Christ. It's well known in the Gnostic circles, even today. And uh, all the way back to Abraham rising the serpent on the cross and using it to heal the people of Israel. 
So it's mentioned everywhere. It's just very secret. Its knowledge has been very secret and its understanding and access has been very secret because it is for those who are ready to be instructed on its use. It's not really meant for people to just mess around with because it is powerful, as I said earlier, and with the right understanding, it works and manifests itself in an incredibly powerful way. But it can also be overwhelming, and the corrections that come from it can be powerful enough to make you feel confused, lost, scared, etc., without the right help, without the right guide, without the right expert or someone who has been involved with it all the way through and through. So for that reason, the same reason that you'd put a gun away high and lock it up in a safe from kids is the same reason that Kundalini has been very concealed and the idea of its activation and its movement through the body and how it should be directed and worked with has all been put away. And so this is one of the reasons why we are starting to hear about it more today because we have so much interest in the mystical. But at the same time, today the ego is so strong and big that everyone believes that they're their own kind of guru and they don't really need anybody's help to get through the process, which is a terrible mistake that's been discussed for thousands of years about why that's potentially dangerous and wrong thinking. So understanding that it needs to be handled with care what steps are necessary to prepare for awakening Kundalini? There are certain things that one should do before they start to go and activate this energy. They should make sure that the physiological energies of the body are balanced. The practitioner should be mentally stable to a certain degree, have fairly good single-pointed focus and concentration, be able to enter into basic meditative states fairly easily, allow themselves to understand the difference between the cognition and all of the mental aggregates that function around it, like the memory and the ego and the intellect and all these things that are departments of the brain, make space from the way that the emotions are imbalanced sometimes and react, the way rhythms come and go, and generally be healthy. Healthy, in fact, it's hard to get Shakti moving in a body that's not healthy. And I don't mean weight or physicality, strength and those kinds of things. I mean in energy. So you can have someone that's maybe overweight or looks unhealthy on the outside, but their energies might be fine inside. They might be real healthy inside. It really has nothing to do with the way we look. It has more to do with the way the energies flow. But this is all part and parcel of going through the practice of correcting the way we react, watching what we say, pointing our hearts toward goodness, preparing ourselves by watching mind. There are a bunch of things that are done prior to having this activated. And usually it's activated by someone else. That's typically how it works. But there are times where it's activated by grace. And that means that you happen to put yourself in the right space at the right time. And because of past life work, it was already going to manifest itself anyway. And so typically this person that has this kind of activation once it starts, they usually see there, there are kind of like two types of people there. One that needs to go seek a teacher, somebody to help them. And then there's another that's going to jump very quickly through a remembrance of previous lifetimes work and then move through the path themselves to a certain point and then need assistance at a higher level. But at some point, there has to be this helping that something's not complete. So they need to have a completion of sorts. So they'll seek help and find it and finish what they started, basically. 
So does awakened Kundalini last forever? That's a good question. So again, Kundalini is always active. The difference is what we call active in one person might be different than in another person. And also the level and intensity of activation of Kundalini can eventually relax and become more fluid and less erratic. So you've got different kinds of Kundalini activation and Kundalini movement. For some people, for lack of a better word, let's use like cloggings of the arteries. Let's say that the meridians of the body, let's say we have 100,000 meridians in the body and that at certain places there are arteries that are clogged, like the same way that you would see your heart. Kundalini is going to go through and cleanse and clean this out through our powerful energy. Sometimes this takes the form of physical movement and you can move physically and move erratically in some cases. In other cases, it can be vocalized. In some cases, it has very little effect on the physical body and more effect on the emotional body. Other times, it's more affected toward the mental body. So over time, as this activation continues, two things can happen. One, you can cause distance between your teacher and you and your activation and intensity of this will lessen and lessen and lessen and die away naturally. You'll have received something, you'll have moved to some place in your evolution, and then that will be stopped and some stasis will happen. And you'll need your teacher to come back and help you revive and reactivate this energy and make sure it's going the right way and sort of like you'd see a doctor's checkup. In other cases, if you're making regular communication or you're close with your teacher, this activation continues, but it might stabilize and relax in many ways. So where you used to have some violence uh, in it, meaning that it would move pretty heavy in some cases, or you felt it heavy and maybe you'll enjoy that, most people do, when that starts to clean those arteries, it will move more methodically and softer and more gently and it won't be as erratic. And, and that can be seen as falling backwards, like I think I'm doing something wrong I'm not getting the, you know, crazy bolts of energy anymore. It, that's really not the case. The case is that she's just settling your system down. You're becoming more balanced. And now we're going to continue to go through the states that are required toward the end of the path, which is to eradicate the turbulence mentally, emotionally, and physically. Things become more stabilized. The reason for that is because we want to move into a higher state of perception and, and, and lock that or seal that down. And then Kundalini is a whole different thing at that point. She's run her course to a certain extent. It becomes your tool to utilize how you want to based on your particular paths, goals, or where you want to take your path to. I'm very fortunate to be able to relate to everything you just said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it may help the listeners to better understand once a practitioner has actuated kundalini, what then? I mean, what can or should he or she do with it? Well, would you like to talk about your particular situation a little, or do you feel do you want me to use some other example? Well, I can talk about my situation a bit. In my situation, and I went to one of your workshops about two years ago, and Shakti was raised within me, and... For a while there, it was very violent, very focused around the center of the body, you know, down toward Muladhara, down toward the root chakra, but actually Svadhasthana a bit up. And if I do any energy work at this point, that area tightens up and it folds me in half. 
basically. It's not as violent as it once was, you know, for lack of a better word. But I'm wondering if that energy is something that I should bring into another area, or should I let it focus? Should I let it just run its course? So in your particular case, you received Shakti in a very powerful way. You say violent. I think that's, as you just mentioned, the wrong kind of term. I think you meant intense. It was so intense that you were able to do things during that weekend that you couldn't have done otherwise. You were doing certain yoga asanas that were kind of hard for you to do or impossible for you to do in some cases. And that's true for a lot of people who receive that kind of intensity. They might be able to do things that later they say, I could never do that again. I'm not sure how I did that. Because that energy quite literally takes over the system to a certain extent because we're turning the voltage up. We're just turning the energy, the light, the level of power up. And the same way if you had a clogged hose in several spaces, the thing you do is you run water through it. You know, you've got to get rid of the pressure. So water gets turned up, 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 up until it's enough pressure to literally release all of the things that are stuck within it. And then it flows naturally and normally. And the hose doesn't sputter and, and like a snake spit out everywhere. It just sort of moves normal and the water flows concurrently. And so you're at a space now where you're ready to move into a whole other dimension of your practice. You know, you're ready to break a barrier of sorts and move her into a new space in your body. So that's where you're coming up to now, in fact. And you're overdue for that, actually. But the point is, is that you're a good person to have here talking about this because you're not just talking about something that you heard about. You're talking about something you experienced directly for yourself. And you understand how powerful and radiant the energy is and how intense it is. When we ask for correction, when we ask to be evolved and to go into new spaces and dimensions of reality, there are different levels that we can take that to. We can say that, hey, you know, I want to meditate and evolve along a mystical path, but I want to do it sort of slow and kind of get like my foot down on each step and take some time. And then there are those that say, I want to move fast. I want to go. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. And I'm not sure that in my next life, I'm going to have a chance to do this. So let's move and get it done. And those are two very different people, you know, two different intentions, two different desires, two different aspirations. So in your case, you want to move, you want to get things going. In fact, I know for sure through our communications and other ways that you have a group you work with that doesn't move as fast as you'd like them to. You're one of the few guys in the group that want to move 100 miles an hour. And unfortunately, the guys around you are about 0.2 miles an hour. And sometimes that's frustrating. And you enjoy being in that group, but the guys are not at your level in terms of your evolutionary desire. So this is how it is amongst the entire planet. You have 7 billion people. And only a small handful of them are actually at a place where they recognize the nature of reality enough to say, this game is never going to play itself out. I'm going to continually seek and search for things until I you know, try to satisfy or satiate some desire inside of me and it will always pop up a new desire. It's not going to work. It's just not happening. And they get it. Once you get to that place, you realize the only thing that's going to satisfy you is the exiting of this cyclical transient world, not to come back and just do it again and again and again for another 40,000 lifetimes, but to say, okay, I've received pleasure. I got it. 
but now I need something more than what this world offers. All the gems and jewels and the power and influence and control and the fame in the world doesn't make people happy. They still seek. So what am I going to do? <laughs> I'm not going to solve this riddle nobody else has. So you know deep within yourself that it's time to move on and graduate to a higher place. This energy is the energy that helps us do that. And if we're not with somebody who understands it very deeply and helps us move through it the right way, it's not going to happen. It just won't happen because that mother energy is not going to allow anyone to get hurt by her. Like I always say, no one's ever died from Kundalini. Everyone says, I'm scared of Kundalini. I'm scared. Well, first of all, it's already running in you. Second of all, I've asked for decades for someone to show me a death certificate from Kundalini. I've never heard of anyone dying from it. Now, we know that there's chief sicknesses and things that can happen with the prana. You know, you can go through times where you're not feeling fantastic if you start doing radical things and things that are ill-advised, or if you're just going through rhythms, corrections. Sometimes it can be mental, emotional, and physical corrections, but they don't last. Like you go through them and this too shall pass and you move on. But the point is, is that if you're going to ask Mother Nature or whatever created you to get you out of this state and put you into a higher one, that's going to require radical transformation of the way that you perceive reality and the way that your binary or dualistic mind perceives good, bad, up, down, left, right, etc. You're going to have to move into a new set of aggregates, a new mind, a new way of seeing things that doesn't look at either on or off, but can look at on and off. It can look at impartial love. It can look at things that are beyond the little processor in the brain. And to do that requires tremendous energy to enhance and improve and adjust as we move up that ladder to each of those steps. So the path is not easy. Once foundations built and we move into what I call the Nagama path, the secondary path, that secondary path becomes a little fun because we're playing in another realm of reality and we're doing some things that are more fun in the dream realms and we're not really practicing there. We're moving into more of an experiential evolutionary organic growth. But at first, there's a lot of correction and sharpening and what I call the outer lights coming. There's not a lot of payoff because we don't want the ego to be in this game. We're trying to detach from the ego problems. So at the foundation level, it's all work, hard work. At the second level, the add-up level, it's all play, really. It starts to get more playful. And so either level, Kundalini will be involved. She'll just be involved in different ways. But she never is not involved in an evolutionary path. That's for sure. Oh, that's an excellent explanation. And you're totally right about the frustration. To have conversations with people outside of the Sangha or outside of the so-called spiritual community, if they haven't experienced what you're talking about, the conversation goes nowhere. I have to tailor back my conversations a lot more than I would like to. But, you know, with that, speaking with others who are not necessarily spiritually inclined, I've spoken with people who correlate what they call Kundalini practice with sexual arousal. And I've also heard people correlate the root chakra with the same. Now, is there any truth to these suppositions or are they just misunderstandings? For one thing, sexual tantra is a completely misunderstood process in our world today, for sure, without a doubt. Because the true form, like if you take Guya Samacha as a form of it, 
is so in-depth and so involved, they're missing the real aspects of the practice. But Kundalini is in sexual energy, and she's also in hunger energy, and she's also in power desire energy and control desire. Kundalini is in all of those things. You can't just say it's in sexual energy. It's also in loving energy. It's also in happiness. When you laugh, Kundalini is in that. When you smile, Kundalini, when you're depressed and you're crying, Kundalini is also active in that way. That's why there's a million paths, because all of those things are activations or empowerments or enhancements of Kundalini or some type of form or color or flavor of Kundalini. You can't breathe and speak and think without her. So she's in everything. So there is a portion of the path in certain sects that utilize sex as a way but today that's so badly misunderstood that it's ineffective because there's so many errors there. There's so many errors there. The practice is really meant for a yogini and a yogi or partners to be already excelled in many areas of their practice. And when they come together, they understand and have access to a group that can explain the process clearly and correctly so that they know what they're doing. When you start to work with the dues, channels, and drops within the body, you're not looking to have better sex. You're looking to overcome the attachment to sex. You're looking so that sex becomes irrelevant because you found blissfulness within that transcends sexual energy. It doesn't mean that you lose sex. You don't. You can still have sex all the time if you want or don't, but it just doesn't have any clingness to you. You don't have to have it. It's not controlling you anymore. But the process of sexual yoga is to climb that ladder of spirituality, to heighten your sense of perception more and more. And that doesn't come from just <laughs> making sex longer or edging sex out or, you know, pulling up on your perineum and stopping physical seminal fluid, these kinds of things. That's misunderstanding. It goes much deeper than that. So is Kundalini in sexual energy? Absolutely. She's in all energy, thought energy, emotional energy, physical energy, all of that. Yes, she's in it all. She's in everything that moves and everything that is dense and subtle in this reality, all of it. Adi Shakti's in all of it. But understanding how to utilize her, that's a mastery. That takes a mastery. In fact, I've said before, I don't think that you can fully ever understand Adi Shakti that way. You can never fully understand the great mother's energy. It's just something that she plays with you with and allows you to utilize as like a toy, a child's toy, as you grow and develop. And you're constantly learning and understanding her more and more in more subtle ways on more subtle planes as you continue until at some point you're ready to know her in another way and you leave this system because it's become the sandbox is done. You're going to another place to play and learn. So the short answer, yes. Sexual energy is kundalini energy, and so is urinating, so is laughing, so is riding a bike. All of those things involve kundalini energy to a certain aspect. And just to close the thought here, because we can go into this sexual yoga for a long, long time, but one of the reasons why union yoga, sexual yoga, was originally a part, small part of the overall tantric idea in some cases was because it allowed us to open the central column of the body easier and gave us access to the areas we needed to work in during meditation. So arousal energy allowed us to get into those areas and to work with those areas 
in terms of breaking barriers down, restrictions down, and melting dues and whatnot, entering into dissolution and whatnot, those kinds of practices. So there are ways of utilizing it for that. But it's one part that can be utilized in a potential thousands, tens of thousands of different ways. So sex can be there if you understand the real deep aspects of its application. Otherwise, there are a myriad of other ways that are a lot easier, in my opinion, than trying to ride that razor's edge and practice meditation while you're also dealing with sexual arousal and egoness and wanting and desire. Most people are not at the level yet to be able to handle the desiring of sexual arousal and attraction. They get consumed by it. And instead of doing a pure central column meditation that involves certain kinds of applications, they just get involved with more animalistic sex that just lasts longer. And that's good that it lasts longer for the woman in most cases. And being more romantic and having a man be more attentive to the female, those are all really positive. And that should be the way it is. So for the, in that case, it works out well for the relationship. But as far as breaking into new realms of reality through the practice of sex yoga, you better get with somebody who really understands it very well and realizes what they're doing. And they will instruct you in things that are very complex and very difficult. And you're going to find that that sadhana, that practice is a lot harder than a lot of other practices out there when you find the true and authentic form of it. Okay, I understand. I've got one last question for you. Once kundalini energy is activated within me, awakened. How do I nurture this energy once it becomes free within me? Kundalini is an energy that revolves around the ruach, the spirit of us within. It's that beautiful, she gets aroused by our own arousal of loving, gratitude, kindness, even you said, or sexual arousal at its lowest form, you know, that lower energy but higher in the form of kindness, in the form of gratitude, in the form of these are the higher ways. But any way that we can, through anger, you can arouse her through anger, you can arouse her through any kind of intense aspiration and intention, as long as it's focused the right way. And as long as there's some sound teaching behind it so that you understand the application, you can arouse her and get her moving. And then when she's initially completed her first job, you begin to partner with her and dance with her. And that's where she starts to allow you to have access to her in certain ways so that eventually you take the dance over, so to speak, and that she's not holding you by the hand. Everything about the path is freedom. So mother's leading you to a place where she says, okay, now you do it. Now it's up to you now. And you start to take over the dance. In order for this whole process to work out, any process that's going to go down that kind of a deep, very, very intense attainment on a path, you have to have somebody with you helping you through that. You can't just guess it's not going to happen. There is just too much mystery in this. And you can't go to a place you've never been before. You can't say, well, I'm just going to figure it out. There have been millions, tens of millions of people in the past who have attempted to sit or meditate or work with Kundalini energy and brilliant genius people who have failed, failed, failed again and again. And it is only really those who have a proper teacher next to them that tells them, don't try this, try this. And they go, oh, that, that worked, okay. And have the patience and endurance to go through what needs to be done. This goes back to the last point as we close up this idea. When we want to move through the layers of the onion, it isn't the onion that changes for me so that I can take me into the new layer of the onion. It's me that changes to represent the qualities and attributes of the new layer of the onion. 
In other words, I have to change somewhat to change my perception of whatever realm I'm entering. So if I'm going to go to a new realm of reality, I have to match those attributes within me. That means that I have to correct something or change something here within me first. It's not going to happen if I'm just waiting around for it to bend and change for me. The whole point is for us to find the truth about who we really are, who we really are, what is our original essence, our natural original essence. And to do that, we have to stop doing the same habitual patterns that we constantly do, the same rhythms that come up. And we have to actually use Kundalini to help us burn through the residual habit energy so that we have basically modified our attributes enough to match that next realm and then awaken to it. And this is a complex and difficult thing to do. Heroes do this, right? And so the common person says, I want nothing to do with this. And you know what? They're not ready. That's okay. But every once in a while, there's somebody who says, no, I have an itch and I, I can't stand, something's wrong I, and I cannot stand this world for some reason. I can't figure this out. It's not making sense. I don't get it. All of these questions start popping up. And that usually indicates that person's ready for the spiritual path. They're ready to move through and get it done. And it may be that they take breaks from that and they need them. They may go through a year or two or three of practice and then I got to take a break from this. I'm, I'm just not feeling it. I'm lost. And, and then they come back again for another intense four months or six months and then take a break and come back and finally get it done. And there are those that just go straight through. There's all kinds of different experiences. I've had people that have left the path after a year, come back and went strong for two years straight. I've had people that have come on for a month strong and left for two years. <laughs> I've had people that have stayed steady year after year. It really depends on the individual. And we're not trying to melt and go away. We're not trying to become nothing. We weren't born to become nothing. We're born to become something greater than we are today. And that means that we have to change. And so that change is the key. And aspiring to that change is hard because everything in us fights against it. And that is why I'm so grateful that I've crossed paths with you, Daishi. Um, very grateful to have you as a teacher. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. It You're looks like... Welcome. It's all my pleasure, by the way. Oh, as it is mine. It looks like we're just about out of time. So before we wrap up, I'd like to tell our listeners that com is now open for limited registration. Is there anything you'd like to share with us about the website? Well, I have so little to do with its structure. There's a team of people in place there. There's tutors there to help people out. We're adding so much content and so much information and so many new people that the hustle and bustle over the next few months is going to be intense. It's fun to see it and I love it. But the most important part of it is that we have a lot of people in the group who have gone through a lot and they're there to help the practitioners. That's really hard to find. Most of the time you get some lecture or seminar or you get somebody who gives you some information and then you're on your own at the site you've got access to dozens of very veteran practitioners who are there to help you and guide you through and we continuously upload content and we're going to continue to do that as our libraries get stuffed with information so you can figure out what kinds of practices you enjoy and you like and where you want to take your path and what practices you might not do well at or not enjoy, and maybe even find out why. 
So the way that the site is set up is really to be a very interactive and very tutor-based environment, which you need on this. If you don't have people around you that have the right aspiration, you're doomed. It's very hard to be an island to yourself on this path. Everything in you wants nothing to do with this. It just wants the status quo. Get up, repeat your day, go to bed, get up, repeat your day, go to bed. And this will keep going until your worm food where we all end up. So at some point, if you don't have somebody pull you from behind and say, hey, wake up, you got to go, come on, it's real easy to fall back into the day-to-day slumber and the trance of just being in the world until, you know, the heart starts failing, uh, you end up getting hit by a truck, something happens, like we all are going to experience, and we end up in a coffin. So we want to somehow find the aspiration to have help, and that help is there, and that's really vital, I think, and important, it makes us unique. Agreed. And being part of our sangha is worth its weight in gold, I have to say. Bless you. Daishi, it is always a pleasure. We're grateful for the wisdom you freely share with us. And I thank you for sharing this time with us today. Thanks a lot, Tom. I love you so much. And everybody out there that has any issues at all concerning where they're going in life, or if they have kind of a struggling, unsettled feeling, we're here to help in any way we can. And if you don't want the help through us, like I always say, try to find it from somebody. And Please move forward on this path. The world needs it now more than ever. And people are actually searching for it now more than ever because the time is short. The world's changing real fast. The weather's changing real fast. The way the governments work, we're changing fast. Everything's changing fast. And we better get ourselves into a radiant place where we don't get trapped in the cycle again and again and again. So we're here for you. And uh, Tom, again, thank you so much. I appreciate you doing this. You're quite welcome, Daishi, and thank you as well. I'd like to thank you all for joining us, and if you have any questions or comments about the show, please email us at radio at com. You can also find us in all the usual places on social media. Just search for Drukama Teachings. The transcript for this show is also available on com. Again, this is Tom wishing you a safe and expedient journey on your path to enlightenment. And until we meet again, blessings. Mm-hmm.